Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Odds from the Octagon with Pinnacle, the show that will cover MMA betting from every angle with all the big fight odds from Pinnacle, the bookmaker. I'm your host, Adam Catterall. It's a pleasure, as always, to be in your company. And today, we're going to be talking about the big fight card from Las Vegas this weekend, which is headlined by Dustin Poirier's trilogy bout with Conor McGregor, plus plenty more. We'll discuss the ins and outs of the MMA betting markets and provide our listeners with expert insights into what Pinnacle have ahead over the next few weeks in the world of mixed martial arts betting and moving forward. Now, we have Pinnacle's Chris McCarthy with us to explain to our listeners what action they are seeing on the betting markets ahead of the weekend and MMA betting enthusiast William Jarman, who also works for Pinnacle, to provide some expert insight into where the value might be. A little later on, I'll be catching up with Nick Pete, who's part of the British broadcast this weekend for Poirier versus McGregor. Let's get to it. Now then, Chris, as you know, I have uh, sent over to you my uh, fights to look out for throughout the course of July in mixed martial arts, three of which uh, are happening this weekend at UFC 264, all available on the Pinnacle website right now. I know that you've given it the once-over, mate, to make sure that I'm not talking absolute nonsense. <laughs> From a betting point of view, what are the things that you're seeing? Um, yeah, I have done. Um, and we have been seeing a lot of action, as you do kind of imagine, ahead of what is one of the biggest fights, possibly the biggest fight of the year, um, especially thus far. Um, obviously, it's a it's it's a great fight to be betting on. We've got what we've seen so far. We've got 50 three percent of bets at Binacore on Dustin Poirier um this was actually 60 percent last week which obviously shows some good two-way action on there um Poirier opened at 2.02 but it's currently now 1.8 with Pinnacle and um, McGregor opened at 1.8 is now 2.11 as well which is a it's a pretty substantial flip. McGregor's gone from favourite to underdog. As we've been seeing some movement on Poirier, he's now into favourite. Um, implied probability is Poirier now 53.96, McGregor just 46.04. Um, obviously, touched upon before, Adam. I've been uh, going over your article and looking yeah. at predictions. So um, your prediction for the big one is the fight to go the distance. So if we could just get a little bit of an eyes from you on that one, that would be, uh, be great. Yeah, mate, I've gone big. I've gone clutching at straws for this one because the majority of people that you would speak to um, in this market, I'm sure when we speak to Will a little later on in the show, he will probably favour towards what I'm about to say now, that Conor McGregor either wins this fight early, and if he doesn't win this early, then the then as you're seeing with what you're talking about with the betting there, that Dustin Poirier will come through and get the job done and probably get that job done with the finish. I've opted for... Um, this fight going the distance for a couple of reasons. As I look down the history of uh, UFC trilogies, and especially those where you see fighters coming into a trilogy where they've got one win each and they've got one win each via knockout, I always find that the, the trilogy fight, the third fight, is a little bit more of a cagey affair. There's a little bit more to lose on the fight, so therefore the fighters approach it with a little bit more caution. It's a bit more standoffish, which is kind of contradictory towards the styles of these two gentlemen. Obviously, Connor's a very fast starter. He likes to get the job done nice and early, and he comes out the gate really, really quick, as does Dustin Poirier. He's a bit of a marauder. He loves to stand up and bang, and therefore likes to get finishes. 
But because there's so much on the line, and I'm not just talking about from an egotistical point of view from both of these guys, also the ramifications of what happens next in the lightweight division, you would think that the winner of this fight will go on to fight for a title. The loser of this fight, where do they go? If Conor McGregor loses this fight, is that him done in the UFC? If Dustin Poirier loses this fight, he's most certainly quite aware where from getting himself a lightweight title shot when he was very, very close and he could have taken a title shot earlier on this year against the Charles Oliveira. So there's huge ramifications on the fight. So I've kind of gone towards it being a cagey affair. Now, I'm probably the only person in the world saying that it's a cagey affair. But if I look at the history of Conor McGregor in rematches and I look at the Nate Diaz fight, he changed his style up. He went on the back foot. He went for a little bit of a run round the octagon and he ended up winning this on, on points. We know that Dustin Poirier is a tough dude. Um, the difference between Dustin Poirier and Nate Diaz, of course, is that he won't let Conor McGregor off the hook when, if indeed he does hurt him, he will obviously chase him down and go for the finish as he did earlier on this year on Fight Island in the second fight when he got that finish. Um, so there's my reasons behind why I've gone for a distance fight. If Again, another fight that springs to mind when I think trilogies, Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic, knockout in the first fight for DC, knockout in the second fight for Stipe Miocic, and then all of a sudden in the third fight, not a cagey affair because it was a good affair, but you get one that goes the distance. And that's kind of what's swayed me just edging towards this. But the more and more I speak to more experts on it, mate... I think there's going to be a finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's certainly interesting to see the the way that the the odds have actually flipped. I mean, from there, that's quite a quite a substantial flip. It's really interesting to that. So we'll see how the uh, we'll see how the action plays out closer to the flight. Maybe we'll have another another flip somewhere along the line. But um, your second fight that you've got in uh, your arc that we've been discussing and going over this week. Uh, Gilbert Burns versus Stephen Thompson. Yeah. Uh, Thompson, 16-4-1 in MMA, 11-4-1 UFC, uh, meets Burns in a co-main event uh, on Saturday. So I've been looking at Pinnacle's odds, and I suppose the general, I don't know why, but I think the general feel of this fight is that Thompson's going to get the job done. Um, your your prediction is Thompson to win via decision um, in terms of some of the kind of the action we've seen like from Pinnacle on the betting and stuff like that. Uh, well, Gilbert Burns is 2.37. That equates to a 40.75% chance. Uh, Thompson, 59.2% chance at 1.63. So he is the favourite. Um, 43% of bets uh, are on Gilbert at the minute and 57% of bets mm. on Thompson. So Thompson's being kind of favoured in the in the bet count there. Um, we haven't seen much movement at all in terms of like the opening line to present. So I suppose that's obviously a good indication if you're probably a Thompson backer. Um, you've gone Thompson via decision, Adam. What's your, uh, what's your analysis and thoughts on that one, Pop? Just the stylistic matchup. Obviously, Gilbert Burns is coming up off the off the back of a defeat. Fair enough, it is in that title fight to Kamaru Osman, but he was finished in that fight. Uh, yeah. And ever since... Stephen Thompson was finished against Pettis the first time in, what is it, 80-odd professional fights, both in mixed martial arts and kickboxing, that he's ever been knocked out. Since that, he's just looked brilliant. He's looked absolutely brilliant. He looks freer. He looks sensational against uh, Vincente Luque. Last time out against Jeff Neal, he put on an absolute clinic. And I just think at range... He's, he's, he might even be the best in the division at range when it comes to striking. He's got that beautiful karate style. Um, it's poetic to watch at times. A fight always starts on the feet and it's going to take something very special 
for Gilbert Burns to shut that distance on Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, get his hands on him and grapple because he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialist. That's what he wants to do. He wants to fight up close and personal, whereas Stephen Thompson wants to keep this fight at range. And I think Thompson's just too classy and he'll be able to keep him at range and pick him off. I don't think he commits enough to get the knockout. So therefore, I've gone for a a points decision victory uh, for Wonderboy in the co-main event. If he did get a knockout, though... The ramifications for the welterweight division could be massive because he could then stick his hand above the parapet and he could be next in line to be fighting Kamaru Usman for the title. So a big opportunity for Wonderboy to put on a bit of a show this weekend and I fully expect him to do it. Nice one, pal. Yeah, played it, played it safe with a decision, I see. The, uh... <laughs> <laughs> the, uh... Splinters. The, uh... <laughs> I've got splinters in my backside, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, moving on, we've got uh, we've got Nico Price, Michelle Pereira. Um, now, another... Another one from UFC 264. There seems to be some real kind of like fan-friendly fights being made at the minute. And uh, I suppose especially this is more, especially one of them uh, between the between the two. We've had 55% of bets have come in on Pereira. Mm. Um, again, like the last fight with, uh, with Wonderboy, very little movement from the opening line to present. So prices have stayed like roughly around about the same. And I mean, yeah, literally almost the same. It's almost the same line as what the uh, Gilbert Burns, Stephen Thompson fight is. So in terms of probability, we're looking at, around about the 40% mark and Pereira's around about the 60% mark. Uh, you've gone for Pereira to win by decision again. Is that a, is that a play it safe again by decision or you got, is that something you, you think is going to come in? Yeah, it is a bit of a play it safe because both of these guys are going to bring the action. There's no doubt about that. It's going to be a, a fun, entertaining fight. I just think what happens with Michel Pereira is because he's so flashy and so creative with his striking, it can sometimes maybe sway the judge's decision and and opinions as to how maybe a fight is going. You're supposed to obviously be looking for damage and supposed to be looking for dominance over a a period of duration. But he's so creative with what he's doing. The kicks and the, I mean, the guy does backflips, headstands, you name it, whilst he's in a fight and what have you. And it can kind of cloud what you're actually watching. He's fantastic to watch. It's really, it's, it's great to watch. I think he's a, I think he's got some type of uh, qualification in capoeira, the Bra- Brazilian dance art. He is, honestly, sensational. Um, yeah. So therefore, I would favour him just to nick this. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a split or something like that, but I, I, I would favour him to nick this uh, on a decision. But again, Nico Price is a guy that always brings uh, the violence, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised... Um, if, if he landed something that got Pereira in a bit of trouble because he is a, he is open, Pereira, when he's doing all his flashy stuff. But I'm going to stick with what I've written in the article. I'm going to go with Pereira uh, over, over a points decision. Nice one, nice one, pal. Building up nicely. We've got our next, we move on to your next prediction, which is Islam Makachev yes. versus Thiago Moises. Makachev, uh, Moises has been put in the spotlight, I suppose, for the first time in their UFC careers. Uh, Makachev, he's 19 and 1 in MMA. I think he's 8 and 1 in UFC. Moises, 15 and 4, I think, in MMA, 4 and 2 UFC. Um, I think it serves as the, as the main event of UFC, uh, co main event, sorry, um, as of UFC's July 17 event, I believe. Yeah. Um, most of Pinnacle's bets on this fight are on Makachev. Not surprised, uh, is, mate. Not surprised. This, this is a fight where he's looking to be very heavily favoured, I feel. Um, Makachev opened with us at 1.24. Uh, 
Uh, he's now 1.17. Um, that's actually a relatively kind of significant movement, to be fair, on all odds that are that short. You wouldn't t gen tend to generally see that. Um, obviously, it's showing that there is there is a bit of a backing for Makachev there. Um, we've taken a fair few parlay bets as well that involve Makachev. So yeah. uh, parlay for in a more conventional kind of odds uh, terminology would be an accumulator. But mm -hmm. uh, that's basically we've taken a lot in there. So what I'm kind of getting the census is there that people are kind of him in at the uh the low, uh, the low price is a guarantee. You've gone with Makachev to win via submission. Uh, I'm going to win via submission. Show how confident you are in him getting a victory. Yeah, and you just talking about parlays there and involving fighters in parlays is a, to make money. I think in in UFC or mixed martial arts betting, not a lot of people do that, and I'm sure Will will throw some uh, uh, some expert analysis on that a little bit later on in this podcast. So make sure you stick around for it. Uh, that kind of shows where the audience and 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 those that know uh, a bit about Makachev are at because he seems to be a bit of a guarantee. I know there's no guarantees in fight sports, especially in mixed martial arts, but with Makachev and the rise that he's doing in this lightweight division, uh, for, for those that don't know too much about him, he's, uh, he's, he's basically the second coming of Habib Nurmagomedov. Whenever I've interviewed Habib uh, in, in the past and I said, who will be lightweight champion in three, four or five years time, every single answer that Habib's ever given me has been Islam Makachev. He's got a very similar style to Habib Nurmagomedov. And I'm not, listen, throwing cold water on Thiago Moises, who's an elite level fighter. I would have expected a stiffer test at this stage of his career for Islam. Uh, however, there's not many in that top 10, top 15 in the lightweight division that are going to put their hands up voluntarily <laughs> to fight this fella because they're risking their own status and so much when they could probably take more competitive fights uh, in and around the £155 division. Um, I've gone for a sub mainly because of his grappling style. You know, the, the kick can whack a bit yeah. as well, but I've gone for a, a submission mainly because of his grappling style and he just seems so... He started to become so comfortable now in the octagon. I think he's got used to the bright lights. Um, his style is so... He just suffocates you. I can't see Thiago Moises doing too much against Islam Makachev. So I'm going to favour Islam. I might even I might even go even bigger on this and say something like a, sec <laughs> a second round submission, you know? I'm that, I'm that confident he'll win. That's where I'm going. An absolute specific shout out me. The... Uh, the uh, <laughs> love that. We've got... Uh, moving on, we've got... Uh, Misha, Misha Tate versus Mari Areno. Yeah, uh, I've pronounced that one right. So that's one of the more uh, difficult ones to say. But uh, Pinnacle's kind of action on this. We've got the odds at uh, 1.84 for Tate and 2.04 for Reino. Yeah. 66% of the bets on uh, Tate. Uh, but yeah, I suppose just kind of, I suppose pretty much what the market's saying in terms of the odds. Um Marginally less favoured uh, for Tate now at the opening line, but not enough really to be notable of any chance. So basically, mm. um, for our listeners who are listening to that, stuff like that is generally, it's closer to fight night. We probably see it a little more there, but it's kind of the general consensus seems to be at the minute that those odds are kind of as and where they should be. Um, surprised maybe it's not a little bit closer than it is. Um, Tate's for a, probably a higher level. Um, Marion's on the four fight losing streak. And I think she's, 44 years old, if it's, I believe. Yeah, uh, so right. uh, despite the long time away, I think one point, I, I mean, you'll know better than me, I think 1.84 probably represents a bit of value here, possibly. You've gone with Tate to win by a decision. Um, explain that one, Bill. Um, 
Misha Tate, obviously former champion, um, and she retired off the back of two defeats. She became champion by beating Holly Holm in that amazing comeback. Then she retired off the back of the two defeats and she's gone away and she's become a mum and she's done loads of business things and what have you. But she's always been training. She's always been in the background working away and doing her thing. Whereas Marion Renault has always, as you know, been in the UFC, cracking on. And she's of an age now where she's, where she's actually physically saying... This is my last one. This is my last one. And I always think, and you, you'll come across this as well, because I know that you're heavily involved in Pinnacle's uh, boxing output as well. When fighters start talking about retirement, for me, they've already got one foot there. They're already half checked out. And that is a very dangerous thing uh, to be doing. Whereas, whereas Misha Tate has checked back in. She's here for a reason. It's not financial. She's done very well financially. She's an astute uh, businesswoman as well outside the Octagon. So she's here for a reason. She believes that she can obviously get back into title contention. And I genuinely think that this fight might be a little bit of a layup for her to, to show off some of those skills. It's hotly anticipated this comeback. Um, I don't know if she's got enough power to put uh, Renault away. She, she's most certainly got the grappling skills to maybe check her out. But I just think with the first fight back, I'm going to play it safe and I'm going to go for, uh, I'm going to go for a decision victory for Misha Tate. <laughs> so after putting your neck on line with the second round stoppage, you're going to nice and safe, nice and safe on the next one, Papa. But uh, yeah, all good, all good. Uh, so moving on, the next one, uh, D-Ron Win versus Phil Hawes. We got D-Ron Win at Pinnacle, we've got him at three point one six. Hawes coming in at one point three eight. Um, not seen too much on this fight at the minute, um, and it's kind of stayed where it is at the opening line. Yeah. Um, You've gone for Hawes to win by a decision. Um, that seems kind of the general consensus on this one here. Explain that one for a start. I'm a big fan of Phil Hawes, and I like the fact as well that this fight was booked before his previous fight. That's why I've picked it, just because uh, it's very unusual for for a fighter to double book themselves. It's kind of disrespectful. <laughs> you, you don't do that. <laughs> you, 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 yeah. You're kind of overlooking the guy that you're fighting, knowing full well, I'm going to go through this guy and then I'm going to go and fight the next guy. Uh, so he's he's already had this fight booked with Wynn for a couple of months and he's had a fight in their interim. I think that rubbed up uh, the wrong win uh, the wrong way. So there's been a bit of back and forth on social media. They've been a bit nasty with each other, which always adds to a bit of needle uh, coming sure, into yeah. a fight. Uh, he's an elite level grappler, his win. Uh, but I just feel that Phil Hawes, with with what he's doing at the moment, the confidence that he's showing, listen, it could come back and bite him on the backside, that confidence, but I just don't think it will in this fight. Um, I'm a big fan of him and I think uh, he will get the job done. But because Deron Wynn is a, an incredibly tough dude, Again, and it's only over fifteen minutes. I've gone for uh, I've gone for a decision victory there as well. Nice, nice. We got uh, next on next on here. So this is a fight I'm actually really intrigued with. So it'd be great to get your opinion on this one. Uh, TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sanhagen. Fantastic fight. Fantastic. Dillashaw two point five zero. Sanhagen one point five seven with us. Seventy um, percent of our bets so far um, in the count have come on uh, Corey. Um, so, yeah. and in my opinion, this is one of the, probably the best upcoming fights of 2021. Uh, there's a ton of kind of interesting things to talk about in the fight, even beyond betting, I suppose. Mm. Um, I definitely recommend uh, people to check this, check this one out as well. And it's given a very kind of, we're giving it a low wage account, but there's kind of very little movement. So Corey's marginally less favored, but it's not, it's not any, I feel I, I, personally think this will pick up a lot more closer to the fight but um at the minute we're just seeing the kind of 
nothing real major in the movement, but it's it is what it is. Uh, you've gone for San Hagen to win by a KO TKO, potentially <laughs> a massive shout. Uh, what's your what's your thoughts on that? One? Might be a bit of heart speaking overhead there, um, <laughs> but. You're right. It's going to be an unbelievable fight. I think because obviously people at the moment are concentrating on what's happening with Poirier McGregor and various other fights that are a little earlier on in the month. Um, They're not fully invested in this one as of yet, but as we get closer, they most certainly will. Again, massive ramifications for the division. Corey Sandhagen has been absolutely outstanding since he was defeated against Aljamain Sterling early doors. His last fight against uh, Frankie Edgar, where he knocked him out with an unbelievable... Uh, shot was probably one of the knockouts of the year. He's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. He's Corey Sandhagen. So just let's park him to one side for a second. TJ Dillashaw is the former champion, of course, but he's been out the octagon for over two years now. He got caught cheating. He got uh, popped for uh, EPO and various performance-enhancing drugs. He held his hand up. He said, yep, yeah, I did. I've been uh, doing bad stuff. Now, listen, we've all got our opinions on drug cheats in, uh, in fight sports and professional sport in general. Um, but the rules are the rules. He's gone, he's served his ban, and he's now back. This is his first fight back since that ban. There's loads of unanswered questions. Where's he at? How good is he? Has he still got it? Has he been doing, has he been doing the training and what have you? Uh, and is there going to be octagon rust? That's what I'm, that's where I'm at because Corey Sandhagen's been in there. He's been grinding. He's been fighting the best of the best, and he's been knocking out dudes as well in sensational fashion. So I'm opting for the younger, fresher uh, guy, the guy that's uh, a little bit more active right now. And I also just think the guy that's just hot. He's hot right now, man. And he's and I just think that yeah. because of those knees that he throws up the middle, because of his striking capabilities and his grappling capabilities as well. I could have, I, mate, I could have even gone for a submission here. I just feel that Sandhagen will want to make a statement because he wants a title shot. So I think he's going to go out there with bad intentions and he'll get the job done and he'll finish TJ Dillashaw. Nice, nice. So I suppose the general consensus there on the betting front is basically Sandhagen is going to win. So for me, <laughs> the, for uh, me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm there for our opinions. And the, yeah, uh, yeah lovely, lovely. We've got, Moving on to only a couple left on your pick. Oh, we've got uh, Askar Askarov versus Alex Perez. Yeah. Uh, we haven't actually priced this fight up yet. We're still waiting for a couple of bits of information to come through. We price this up, but we will have odds closer to the fight. Mm. Um, Askar probably feel a bit hard done by not receiving a title shot for the next fight. Mm. Um, and I mean, this is a mental stat as well. He only has 20%. 20% hearing um as yeah. such. so I mean that's I mean how 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 does that work in terms of like corner corner work and stuff like that when you've got 20% hearing I mean you've gone with Askarov to win by a decision as well um a couple of fun facts in there to kind of talk about and kind of relay onto the bet in front what's your thoughts on that one Askarov's a Paralympian he competed uh, the, at the Paralympics he's a sensational sensational mixed martial artist and now obviously competing uh, in the UFC. Uh, Alex Perez is no joke. This whole division's no joke. It's a fantastic division. For a long period of time, obviously, Demetrius Johnson was the dominant king and nobody could really get at him until Henry Secudo beat him and then blew the division up and then he cleared off and then the belt became vacant. Davison Figueredo comes in and breathes new light in there and obviously recently we've just seen a fantastic performance from Brandon Moreno who became the new champion. Now, Alex Perez has had an opportunity at fighting for the belt previously. He was the guy... Uh, that fought just before Brandon Moreno against Davidson Figueredo and he came up short. Uh, Figueredo took care of him in, in, in great fashion, but don't hold that against him because Figueredo's a sensational fighter. Askarov, what I was saying before about Islam Makashev, 
suffocates you. He at, he's, he's so, honestly, I don't know what he's doing in his cardio training. <laughs> he's unbelievable the amount of pressure that he puts on fighters. It's, do you know, do you know like when you're sat in a beer garden in the summer, right? And you've got a nice pint of beer and then there's a wasp just flying round the edge of your glass. Just annoying you, yeah. Mate, that's what he's like. He just will not let you go. He is on you nonstop. Sensational uh, pressure fighter. And uh, I, I just feel that he, he sh- you're right in what you're saying. He's going to be annoyed that he's not in, uh, in for a title fight as of yet. I think he will be next and it will come off the back of this fight. I think he'll put in a great performance against a former title contender in Alex Perez. Uh, he will get the job done here and therefore move on to maybe fighting Brandon Moreno uh, for the full title. Uh, a little later on this year. I'm a massive fan of him and I'm even more of a massive fan of him because of his disabilities and what he's managing to achieve uh, in the UFC. Top fighter. Yeah, uh, unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable stuff, to be honest. The uh, And moving on to last, but certainly not least, uh, we got Pitbull uh, versus AJ McKee. Yeah. Um, possibly two of Bellator's most talented fighters. Uh, very high quality fight as well. Um will probably be by far the biggest test of AJ's career I would have thought, uh, whereas Pitbull's been in there and beaten some high-level opposition, hasn't he, before? Uh, knocked out Michael Chandler away yeah. from above this fight. Chandler's recently competed, competed at UFC, like heavyweight title, top five in the UFC at the minute. You've gone Pitbull to win via KO yeah. slash TKO slash sub. <laughs> so we've got to uh, explain that one. Explain that one. Just pal, where's the uh, where's the value there? Just because he's such a well-rounded fighter, I've, I've gone just for finish. So I put all the possible possible finishes in there as to how he'll get this job done. AJ McKee is no joke. He is. He's grown up in the in Bellator. He's been absolutely exquisite in Bellator. He's been brilliant. This one's going down on July the thirty first. And as you've rightfully just said there, this is for me the best fight that Bellator can make right now. Might even be the best fight that Bellator have made for about five years. These guys are absolutely the top, the creme de la creme of this particular division. They are. They're, they're brilliant. Like I said, he's come through. He's he's looked punch perfect. Uh, all the way through his tenure of Bellator, but he's taking on a serious, serious fighter, multi-weight world champion in Pitbull, Patricio Ferrer. I just think that the old dog will want, and I'm doing him a disservice here because he's a lot younger than me, is uh, Patricio. But uh, I just think that he will want to put the young book in his place. A lot of people are talking up AJ McKee and his opportunity and his chances coming into this fight. Um, a lot of people that I speak to that follow MMA are split. They don't know which way to go on it. That's how close it is. But every time I've uh, Patricio's been asked the question, every time he's been placed with a big challenge, i.e. you just mentioned uh, Michael Chandler, who was the champ and a, a, a dominant champ as well, he steps up. He steps up and he, he, he doesn't just step up and course through the fight. He steps up and puts on a performance. And I can't... For me, that's all I see. I just see him rising once again. I think it'll be competitive early. I think both guys will put it on each other early. But because of the inexperience and because of the youth on AJ McKee's side, I think he'll just fall into some traps of which if you fall into a trap with Pitbull in the octagon with you, you are going to be in a lot of trouble. And I think uh, <laughs> I think he, he, he could get submitted. He could get knocked out. 
he, I think he will get finished. So therefore, I'm going for a pit bull to remain the champion. <laughs> he gets finished either way. Uh, yeah, that's about it for your article, Paul. It's been uh, brilliant reading it and stuff like that. We'll, um, I don't actually have the odds for what that will be in an accumulator, but what I might do is just send it over to you because I'm sure if I, all of these predictions <laughs> are correct, it's going to be a fairly high value pick. So I might have a might have might have a sneaky pound on it myself and see how it goes, and then we'll. Uh, I'll, I'll revisit with you next month and uh, roast you for a, for a zero out of 10 or maybe a 10 out of 10. Absolutely. Um, stick with us here on the Pinnacle uh, Odds from the Octagon podcast because uh, Will Jarman's going to be joining us shortly to give you some tips on what you to, what you've to be looking out for when betting on MMA. Right, time to get stuck into some expert analysis. I know what you're thinking. You've just had some expert analysis. Well, we're taking it up a level on the show right now. Uh, with uh, Will Jarman, who is uh, MMA better and also an employee of uh, Pinnacle and a man that knows what he's doing when he's looking for particular fights and particular value. Will, welcome. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. How about yourself? I'm good, man. I'm good. Looking forward to the fights throughout the course of July. Uh, You've just heard me and Chris going back and forth on my article and some of the fights uh, that I've picked out. I know that you've picked out a couple of similar ones, but you've also got uh, an eye on a few uh, other ones that are floating around USC 264. But we get before we get into them, Will, what factors should we be considering when we're betting on MMA? Of course. Um, I guess at the end of the day, it's the oldest adage in the book is that styles make fights. I think first and foremost, you want to consider the styles of each of the fighters. So if we take the main event for Saturday, we're looking at McGregor and Poirier, you would expect this fight to take place on the feet. Um, Dustin did shoot for a takedown early in the second fight mm. in the back in January. You wouldn't expect that to be a massive part of his game plan. Um, so you would expect it to be two strikers. Whereas, say, if we look at the co-main event, Stephen Thompson and Gilbert Burns, Stephen Thompson is entirely going to want to keep it on the feet. He's one of the best strikers in the sport. Whereas Gilbert Burns has a lot of power, but his striking, whilst good, just isn't as good. But he has incredible jiu-jitsu so he you would expect is going to want to look to take this to the ground control Stephen Thompson and try and work for a submission I guess that brings us into the paths to victory each fighter is going to have their own domain that they want to keep this fight in and if they can keep it there then that's going to be the absolute best way they can get the win Stephen Thompson as we said wants to keep it standing mm. Gilbert Burns wants to take it down McGregor and Poirier will be an interesting one because they both want to keep it standing, so it'll be a very interesting battle there, I think, to see who can impose their will on the other. One thing I also like to consider when looking at fights is the quality of the past opposition. Is that, for yeah. example, there was, a, this is a, a very, very extreme example, but a recent fight had, I think it was a nine and one fighter took on a six and one fighter. Mm where the nine and one fighters opponents combined records were 45 to 73 (laughs) and the six and one fighters was 28 and five. So at first glance, nine and one, six and one, with no other information available, you may favor the person with slightly more on paper experience. Yeah. But the quality of the experience there is just vastly different. Um, you, You would say that the six and one fighter probably gained a lot more from his fights as for on paper higher level opposition and so it's something to keep an eye on that you can have two fighters who look like they have very similar experience but they can have spent 
vastly amounts of different time, uh, vast different, vastly different amount of time in the cage. They can have fought a very different caliber of opponents. Yeah. And in turn, the more high level opponents you face, the better experience you gain and the more high level you become yourself. Yeah, I think um, fight sports enthusiasts that also take in boxing as well will be familiar with what you've said there because I think mainly in boxing, there's a lot more padded records about, aren't there? You know, you get guys coming over fighting uh, elite level prospects, as you've just said, with nine and all, 10 and all records. You think, oh, this guy must be all right. But then you actually have a look into the resume of it and they've just been fighting guys with losing records. And then obviously that then plays out on the night of the fight. Uh, it is, it, it's, I think it's massively important that the quality of the opposition, at what, high, at what type of level have you been competing at in order to then justify a pick going into a fight? And I think I, I said that a little earlier on in the show, for example, when myself and Chris were talking about the fight that's coming up between Corey Sandhagen and TJ Dillashaw. Um, just length of time outside the octagon for TJ is what I was referring to. And then the the quality of the opposition that Sandhagen's been in the octagon with of recent times, uh, with Marlon Marias knocking him out, uh, Frank Yego, former champion, knocking him out. That type of uh, thing is what you're referring to there. And also, do you, do you look at um, activity? Is activity a thing that you look at? How, how regular people are fighting? For example, in that fight that I've just mentioned there, with TJ Dillashaw being out the octagon for two years. Does that come into your thinking at all? I think for sure it's something you have to consider. Um, Dominic Cruz is a very famous example yeah. of someone who doesn't believe in ring rust. He thinks it's all mental and that you should be ready to fight. Once you sign the contract and get to the fight, you should be ready and you shouldn't allow ring rust to affect you. But I think he's definitely in a minority. There are a lot of times that you see someone come off of a long time away from the sport and they just, they don't look as sharp as they used to. Hmm. Um, I think that could be a factor in that TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sandhagen fight, is that Corey's been much more active. Uh, TJ, obviously, as you mentioned, is coming off a suspension for EPO. Hmm. Um, in the interviews I've seen with him, he seems to think he's in very good shape, ready to go. I think it'll be an incredibly, incredibly interesting fight. Definitely one of the ones I'm looking forward to the most this year. Mm -hmm. um, on 264 at the, at, the, at the weekend, obviously everybody's talking Poirier McGregor 3 and we're all excited about the core main event as well between Gilbert Burns and, uh, and Wonderboy in that welterweight clash. But is there anything else that you've looked at on that card that uh, you, maybe you can see a little bit of value for people? Definitely. Uh, this is one fight I think really worth keeping an eye on, is uh, Ryan Hall versus Ilya Tapuria. Mm. Um, you can get Ryan Hall currently at 3.01 and Ilya Tapuria at 1.41. Ryan Hall is probably, he probably has some of the best Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the sport. Absolute wizard on the ground. Um, he's struggled at times to get people to fight him because Whilst his striking is good, he he knows exactly what he wants to do, and it's a very difficult style to face off against. Yeah. So he's had difficulty getting fights. Um, three of his seven wins have come by a sub. He was also, funnily enough, um, a contestant on the Ultimate Fighter season twenty-two. Yeah. Against uh, on the other team, to which Conor McGregor was coaching, mm -hmm. he got a submission win there too. I think there's there's 
black belts and then there's black belts of Ryan Hall's quality. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Ilya Tapuria, on the other hand, he's 24 years old compared to Ryan Hall's 36. Mm. They're at sort of different stages in their career. Is that Ryan Hall is, he is 36, but he's sort of a young 36. He's not been massively active. So he's probably in better condition, taking slightly less damage than you may expect. But Ilya Tapuri is definitely on the come up. He's, um, he also has incredibly good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's a black belt. He would have been Cage Warriors champion at yeah. 135 pounds. But miss weight, didn't he? Yeah, miss weight. Yeah. Um, he's now, ever since then, I believe, he's fought on at 145, which is where the fight's taken place, featherweight. Mm. So you wouldn't expect that to be a massive factor here. But he, he also has five wins via submission. Um, if it goes to the ground, Ryan Hall, conventional wisdom would expect that he takes over. Um, that as good as Ilya Tapuria is, you would want you would uh, favour Ryan Hall. So Ilya Tapuria, I would imagine, is going to look to keep this one standing because he's simply a better and more well-rounded fighter. So this is this brings me on to sort of one of the things that I think is worth considering is that if we go back to the path to victory, if mm. you think someone has overwhelmingly one path to victory, which you could argue Ryan Hall does here, is that he could win a decision, he could get a knockout, but he, you would likely say if he wins here, it's via submission. So then at that point, you may want to look at betting one of the prop markets, the method of victory, rather than the money line, is that simply for whatever price you can get on the money line, if you think he can only ever really win one way, you can get a much better price there on the method of victory market. That's a nice tip, man. Never thought of it like that. That's good. Um, earlier on in the show, when I was talking to Chris, I was talking about um, parlays in uh, in MMA. And I, whenever I speak to people that obviously bet on uh, MMA, they, they kind of steer away from what is better known as a, a accumulator just because of the unpredictables yeah. of, of it. So therefore, when you hear Islam Makashev being used as part of a parlay, it kind of says that, it, I don't want to say it's a give me fight, that it's good, he's definitely going to win because that's not always the case, but it's unusual to see uh, parlays in this sport. Yeah, it's, um, I think Makachev is being used similarly to, say, when Barcelona play. People throw them <laughs> into the accumulator. Yeah. They think they can just boost up the value a bit and try and make a bit more money. I think um, I heard you predict a, potentially even a second round submission. Yeah. Is that I I think Makachev may be a slight level too high for Moises at this yeah. point in time. I think you also said that he's struggled to get fights against mm. the higher ranks of that division. Khabib has for a long time now talked about that he's the heir apparent, he will be the lightweight champion. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of time. And I think yeah, the the betting line certainly seems to suggest that people agree that Makachev is going to be heavily favoured here and he's going to have his way with Thiago. Hmm. Sounds good. Is there is there anything else that you uh, that you take into consideration? Like earlier on, obviously we were talking in the show about Misha Tate coming back off a, a lengthy uh, a, a lengthy layoff. You've also got Connor, I suppose. He's been out for a long period of time. 
spending loads of dough and making it selling whiskey, <laughs> mate. You know, so are there any Doing other well factors? <laughs> exactly. Are there any other factors that you take into considering as well as obviously the uh, the nuts and bolts of what you've just spoken about? Yeah, I think I guess if you were to just call it the human element of things, is that yeah, these fighters are all still human beings. Is that uh, we spoke? You spoke earlier about the Misha Tate fight. Is that she has done some media recently to talk about some of the difficulties she was having in her personal life back when she was fighting. Her personal life and her professional life were both very heavily linked, and neither was particularly healthy. Um, she has now talked about she's at a new fight camp she's in a much better place mentally mm. and she said that she always felt mentally drained before she fought so that I think you said that she's been on a layoff so physically she should be very well rested but I think mentally as well she should be in a very good place to come into this fight so it's sort of the yeah the human element of things that it's similarly if weight cuts are undeniably a massive part of the sport mm. that some fighters are known for cutting a lot more weight than others something that can you can take into consideration is that if it's a short notice fight for a fighter who traditionally has a large weight cut then that can factor into their performance that if they're very mentally and physically drained from the weight cut then that can be a big detriment for them on fight night it's funny, it's funny you bring that up because I don't know if you remember, I know that we mentioned it at, at just a touch earlier on in the show when Davison Figueredo fought uh, Brandon Moreno the last time in the rematch. Yeah. Davison Figueredo took the full two hour allotted time before he weighed in. He weighed in at the very, very last minute to, yeah. to hit championship <laughs> weight. And I'll be honest with you, going into the fight, I genuinely thought the gap between uh, the fight I think they had six months between the first fight and the rematch and I thought to myself Davison Figueredo's winning this and then the minute I watched the weigh-in and saw him take all that time thinking to myself he's had a bad weight cut I changed I changed I went the other way I thought that will be yeah. a, a telling factor knowing full well that Brandon Moreno's weighed in he's already rehydrating and he's uh, well on his way to the buffet you know whereas Davison Figueredo had probably been in a sauna suit uh, chopping himself down it, it is it's massive it does take a lot out of fighters especially in championship fights I find especially yeah there's um, when fighters are cutting a lot of weight you you wouldn't think it but that extra pound from to make championship weight sort of from 126 to 125 yeah. for that fight it's the last pound it's the most difficult it can be the most mentally taxing and as you've said he, he weighed in at, I believe the absolute literal last minute yeah um and then Brandon Moreno went out and shocked the world to some extent. Is yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's one thing that you can see reflected in the betting lines. It can be worth keeping an eye on at the betting lines, at the weigh-ins, hmm. because there's been some notable examples of fighters who look absolutely horrendous on the scales. Yeah. Is that they've made weight, but they are incredibly unhealthy. They've physically they've lost the battle before they've even stepped foot in the cage especially now in the modern day where you can't use an IV to rehydrate yeah. is that you can potentially look for some spots for value just keeping an eye on the weigh-ins before the line really has time to adjust could be a uh, potential spots for some value there hmm. 
completely agree, mate. Listen, pleasure. I've learnt loads now. I might make a few. <laughs> I might make a few quid this weekend. Thanks for that, mate. That's much so appreciated. So. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, do stick with us uh, because Nick Pete's going to join us uh, to talk about the wider aspects of what this main event at UFC 264 means for Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. Right, final part of Odds from the Octagon for Off Pinnacle. Uh, brings us to speak to Nick P, a man that works for every single media outlet throughout the course of a UFC fight week, even more so <laughs> when Conor McGregor is involved. And he's a heavy part of uh, the British radio broadcasting this weekend, which you will be able to hear on BBC Radio 5 Live. And uh, Nicholas, welcome, my friend. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. As you say, I'm just, I'm still, still keeping my voice, you know, a good dose of honey yes. morning, noon, and night just to protect my voice, you know, protect the old vocal cords. But yeah, I've, I've talked about this fight inside, frontwards, backwards, sideways, you name it. And you know what? The more I talk about it, the more I get excited about it. Mm. So. Now, listen, we, we were lucky enough to be on Fight Island in January to see the second part of this trilogy go down where Dustin Poirier got the job done uh, against Conor McGregor. Me and you have spoken tons over the, the, the preceding months uh, about that particular fight and the style that Conor adapted or adopted, should I say, going into it. He was very boxing heavy. Are you expecting something very different from him going into the trilogy? I'm expecting something incredibly different. Yeah, some may say a flashback performance to his to his glory days, if you like, prior to the to Floyd Mayweather escapade when he was a hundred percent a mixed martial artist. I'm expecting a much wider base from him, more of that karate style, bouncing on his toes, maybe some spinning wheel kicks, and you know, just kind of being a bit more creative, a bit more in the flow state. If you go back to the performance against Dustin uh, back in January, uh, out in Abu Dhabi, as you say, tight stands very much like a boxer you know his entire team was pretty much made up of boxing sparring partners he had his old boxing coach from crumbling abc as a major part of that team why not because they thought dustin poirier was going to approach the fight as a boxer match but because they were looking over the fence at a potential super fight with manny pacquiao in a boxing ring and they thought right we've we've beaten dustin in one round before we were inside his head we'll beat him again inside one round and then we'll march on to a multi-million dollar crossover fight once more and I think they got a, a real culture shock. They realised, you know, I think Connor, if he ever needed remind, and he got the biggest reminder possible that you can't play at mixed martial arts, you can't play at this game. You know, Connor's had three fights inside an octagon in the last five years and only won one of them. Similar, Dustin Poirier has had nine fights in the last five years and only lost one of them. Never mm. mind, only winning one. He's only lost one, and that was against Habib. So you you just can't take short you know take shortcuts in this game. No matter how good you are, no matter how big a star you are, if you haven't put the work in, you'll be found out. And for that reason, I think Connor has gone away. He has put the work in because he knows that lose the trilogy fights to Dustin Poirier, wave goodbye to being the world's biggest pay per view uh, fight sports star. Uh, as part of your obligations uh, for BT Sport in a, in a fight week build-up, you've spoken to Dustin Poirier's head corner uh, in Mike Brown. What's what's What was he saying coming into this trilogy fight? Are, are they in a different headspace as they were going into the second, coming off the back now of a victory? Are, are, they, are they prepared for a different corner or are they expecting much of the same? I think they're expecting a bigger, brighter, more trash-talking, you know, kind of Connor, something that we're probably a bit more familiar with. They're expecting them to turn up the volume a little bit more, but they're ready for it. 
You know, and Mike Brown said to me, listen, it was a big decision whether to fight for the title, which just Dustin could have done, or choose to go back in with Connor straight away. And the reason they're going back in with Connor straight away is because they feel like they've got Connor's number right now. And they knew that. He said it took the first two minutes of the of, of the second fight out in Abu Dhabi just for Dustin to get over those demons. He needed to be caught on the chin by a Connor left hand. Mm. He needed to be able to look him straight in the eyes and go, actually. Uh, that's not affected me the same way. I am a different fighter. Just that realization. And then there's a point in that first round where Dustin lands something on Connor and then starts pointing at Connor and starts talking to him. And Mike Brown said to me, that was the moment. That was the moment we knew we had him. That was the moment we knew Dustin's in his flow state now. He's in, he's perfectly happy. And that psychological demon that he carried around for seven years, I'm not saying Connor lived in his head rent free or anything, but in the back of his head, Dustin Poirier's thinking, there's a guy out there who finished me in one round and he's still walking tall. He's the biggest star in the sport. I want to get that one back. And when it gets announced for a second fight, of course those demons are going to chip away at you. But two minutes into the fight, once he realised he could hear Conor McGregor, Boom, psychologically, it's a different headspace. And I think that's why the third fight is happening as quickly as it is, because Dustin, psychologically, is more than ready to take on Connor this week. Listen, I stand by my comment earlier on this week of this being the biggest non-title fight that the UFC maybe have ever booked. It could smash the pay-per-view records. That's how big of a fight this is, and mainly because of the ramifications for both of these guys. You would think we know where the winner of this fight is going, and that's towards Charles Oliveira, and the 155 pound title. What happens if either of these loses? Um, you know, this is the big gamble for Dustin. I think if he loses, he's you know he he really is in a situation where he will have to go away at least win one, maybe even two fights to ever get back into contention. You're looking at at least 18 months away from that title fight because of that reason. Um, and, I, and I think that's why it's a huge gamble for him, obviously financially rewarding, but a potential that his legacy will be here forever because he will never, ever go down as the former UFC champion. McGregor, of course, listen, win, lose or draw, McGregor's got options, of course. He's, he is the biggest pay-per-view draw in, in fight sports, both boxing and MMA. Nobody generates the kind of numbers Connor does uh, in real sport, let's say, not, not circus fighting, but real fighting. Um, but that will take a huge hit if he loses here because he will no longer be a contender. And I think you'll find a lot of fans that come over from football, a lot of you know other sports fans that are attracted to Conor McGregor and the star that he is. I think if they were to tune in this weekend, and I think they will in their droves, and they were to see Conor lose, get knocked out, get finished again, I think the wheels come off a little bit. I think Conor McGregor then, you know, his star does absolutely fade. So while he does have options out there, of course, in in boxing and certain other people inside MMA, like the Nate Diaz trilogy fight, you know, that, that makes sense. It makes money. For anybody else, it makes astronomical money. But in the world, in, in Conor McGregor's world, I think his star would slip. And, and you know, I think his, his, his draw as being a, a guy that guarantees over a million pay-per-view sales, I think that would take a, a huge hit if he was to lose this one this weekend. If I was to uh, force you to make a pick, where would you go? Listen, I'm in the Conor McGregor club, of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm, my kids are on sliced bread because of Conor McGregor. Listen, the guy, in all seriousness, the guy has brought more eyeballs to the sport than anybody in history. And I am a fight sports journalist. I have been for 20-odd years covering boxing and MMA. And for me, the more people that watch my sports, the more people that engage with fight sports, then you know, the more opportunities come my way, the, the better my life is and everything else. So, listen, I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be selfish. Of course, I want Conor McGregor to win. I want the gravy train to keep going but what I can guarantee is 
Conor McGregor, the, the best version of Conor McGregor today, and we don't know what that looks like, will be in Las Vegas this weekend. And I guarantee that the very best version we've ever seen of Dustin Poirier will also be in Las Vegas this weekend. And for that reason alone, get ready for the fight of the year or, or at very least a moment of the year contender. I don't think it goes past two rounds. I think we get a sensational knockout and Conor's arm raised. But tell you what, don't poke fun at me if it's Dustin Poirier doing exactly the same thing the other way around. That's how good this fight is. Um, earlier on in the show, Will made a great point about the human element of this fight. And one thing that I'll say, and maybe you'll be able to back me up on this, is that nobody deals with a big stage like Conor McGregor. We've seen him face adversity before. We've seen him bounce back. We've seen him deal with pressure. I don't think he's been under pressure like he's going to be facing this weekend. But if his social media or anything that I've seen with his interviews this week is anything to go by, he seems to be reveling in it. There's nobody in mixed martial arts. There's definitely nobody in the UFC like Conor McGregor. Absolutely not, you know, and uh, as you say, if there was ever a man for the big occasion, this is the guy, you know, he does feel like a a once in a lifetime athlete, I've been lucky enough to cover some incredible careers, GSP and John Jones and UFC and, you know, the likes of Prince Nazim and, you know, Ricky Hatton and superstars like that over in boxing. Yet nobody has, has done the things Connor's done, jump up and down, weight divisions, change of opponents within 24 hours, you know, fighting for world titles, skipping through, you know, winning one world title and then straight away going on and, and claiming another world title. It, it, it's unbelievable what this guy has been able to achieve in his career, which is why he is the superstar that he is. He will try and create a bubble around him. He will try and bring the circus to town. The fans are back. This is what Conor lives for. And, and, and you will get a better version of Conor McGregor. And I think if Charles Oliveira, the current UFC lightweight champion, was in the opposite corner, or 90% of the roster, they would be intimidated. They would feel it. They would be like deer in the headlights and they would freeze like we've seen so many times before. The likes of Jose Aldo and you know uh, Eddie Alvarez, people mm. like that. Big title fights. Guys with loads of experience that when they got inside the Connor bubble, they panicked. Dustin Poirier isn't going to do that. Dustin Poirier knows what to expect in Vegas this weekend. But more than anything, he knows that once you cut away all the media, the crowds, the noise, everything else, once the world stops spinning and it's just two men standing inside an octagon, Dustin Poirier knows he can hurt the man standing in front of him. He knows he can take Connor's shots. And that's the difference. I think psychologically, as long as he stays in that headspace... Dustin Poirier does not freeze in the early hours of Sunday morning. That's the key. That's what makes it so intriguing. He won't stand there and let Conor land on his chin. He knows that if he takes Conor past two rounds, it looks like the fight turns in his favour. It's up to Conor to use his skills to get back to his very best, to land on the chin, land decisively, and finish the fight inside 10 minutes. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Hairs on the back of my neck already. I can't wait. There you go. Nick Pink, top man, the co-founder of Fight Disciples, former editor of Mixed Martial Arts magazine, Fighters Only, broadcaster for BBC... Uh, do you want me to keep going here now? BBC Radio. Please. Uh, commissioner. <coughs> commissioner. The commissioner of the UFC and, of course, <laughs> top on the on BT Sport as well. Thank you very much for your time, mate. Much appreciated. That is all for our first episode of Odds from the Octagon. I hope you've enjoyed the insight and analysis that has been provided for all the big fight odds we have been discussing throughout the course of this podcast. Be sure to go and check them out over on our website, www.pinnacle.com. You'll also be able to find my article there suggesting some fights that you should be checking out throughout the course of July. Always gamble responsibly. 
I'll catch you next time.